Our first movie tells the story of a friendship behind prison walls that spans more than 20 years. Welcome to episode 17 of Middle Ground Madness, an exercise in podcast hubris. My name is Derek Gade. Mine is Isabel Arf, but that's not the name I want to talk about today, Derek. Okay. I have some other names that I think you will want to hear about, and I think that will make your life better. Is one of them Glenn? It might be. I haven't read all of them through, but <laughs> um, what I want to talk about is uh, some men's and women's lacrosse all-star NCAA names. Oh, I think I saw this. Yes. So, um, for those who don't know, lacrosse is a game played in America. It was originally a uh, an Iroquois game, if I remember correctly. Yes, it's and one now, of the official sports of Canada. It's the official now, summer sport of Canada. Only white people play it. Yep. It's very strange. It's like the banjo, <laughs> where it came from Africa and now is pretty much associated exclusively with white people. But we don't have... That's a very big issue we don't have time to get into. So instead, I'd like to read some of the whitest names you've ever heard, if you will allow me to, Derek. Uh, Giver. These are all real. I just want to like preface this by saying these are all real names. Uh, real human beings named their children this. So, uh, Shackelford Stanwick. Uh, we have Quinn, Quinn Commandant. Commandant? Ivy <laughs> Stucker. Um, there's one I'm saving for later that I'm going to end on. but I'm, um, Wheaton Jacoby. Wheaton Jacoby. <laughs> Tanner Elwood. Caden Kitlinger, Witten McCoon, Reigns Schamberger, Hampton Brannon, Winnie Brandfield Harvey. That's a hyphened last name, hyphenated sure. last name. Shulier Bixby, Carson Copeland, Ursula Fithel, Quinton Hotch Bullen, Mason Warble. The more you say them quickly, the less it sounds like words. Like if I just try to read these through, like C.C. Finney, Emery Ganig. Da- Darby Kiernan, Briar Cummings, Journey Fishbeck, Scotty Rose Growney, McCall Malore, Delaney Muldoon Jr., Campbell <laughs> Shepherdson, Palmer Voorhees. That's a fun one. That's a good one. Um, but the one I really wanted to end on, because uh, it really tickled me when I saw it, um, is Dallas Creamer. I had a Dallas Creamer when I was in Europe. Heyo. Heyo. Uh, no, I think you, I th- it's weird because I think you got some Thomas Pynchon names in your list by accident. <laughs> God. So, uh, wh- would you ever name your child any of those names, Derek? Uh, well, my name is Gane, so uh, no, probably not. Because uh, wasp names don't really go all that well with French last names. <laughs> like, yeah, I-, I can't name my kid Patterson, you know? <laughs> Patterson, Gane. That's not, that's not the worst thing in the world. I mean, because there's like, there's a lot of sort of you like... Can be, hey, I named, you, I named you after the movie. Uh, yeah, or the lead singer of the Drive-By Truckers. Boy, howdy, what a Derek reference there. That's a good that pull, is, right? Whew, that hurts a little bit. Like, all <laughs> of that at once. It's like, you just pulled something out of the back of my mind that I haven't thought about for decades. You haven't thought about the Drive-By Truckers in 10 years? I can't say I have, no. <laughs> um, But Derek, you know what I was thinking about? What's that? Movies. Yes, always thinking about them, never writing about them. <laughs> I'm working on it. I have like, I have like three... Um, Word documents open with half-finished essays, so... I've retired from film criticism, and I'm writing poetry instead. Probably a better, more emotionally healthy course of action, I find it mo- I find it more fulfilling. <laughs> imagine that. Uh, As, imagine watching a movie without feeling like you have to crank words out of it for an editor that doesn't exist. I can't imagine that. Everything I do is for content, Derek. Content only. Content, like... Content rules everything about me. Cream, get the money. Did you hear that that Miley Cyrus song where she she interpolated cream? Nah. <laughs> Hold on. I got to give me a second. I got to google this real quick because it oh, was man. the worst thing I've ever heard. Ah, oh, man. Um, no, I, so I, Miley Cyrus. Like, I don't think I own something with a radio on it. <laughs> oh, I I so here's the thing. I actually haven't um heard the song, but I read <laughs> This is going to be an awful sentence. I read the Pitchfork review of the album. Sure. And um it just so happens that 
they include some commentary about that. I guess like uh, there's also an actual member of what do you call it? The Wu Tang Clan? Clan. Yes, on that track. So Miley Cyrus pulling is up it, her information. Is it like Inspector Deck or something? No, it's it's one of the actual ones that people care about. <laughs> Sorry, no offense, no offense, Inspector Deck. You're a much better rapper than I ever will be. But man, we are coming in. Ghostface Killer. Ghostface Killer is on her track Dream. Can you guess what the D stands for? Is it drugs? Sure is. Yeah. Drugs rule everything. That's badass. That's that's punk rock, Derek. That's what all the hip hop artists love. They love drugs. And if there's one thing that Miley Cyrus knows, it's what hip hop people love. Remember when it seemed like Miley Cyrus was getting groomed by Wayne Coyne? That was weird. Uh, Wasn't that Kesha? That oh no, she was only on like one thing, but like Miley Cyrus did a whole album with Wayne Coyne, The Flaming Lips, called Miley oh. Cyrus and Her Dead Pets, but pets is spelled with a P E P E T Z. Oh, were the dead pets the Flaming Lips? Yes. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. Hmm. No, Kesha is Kesha seems cool now. I'm cool. We're all cool with Kesha. She seems generally rad, whereas I, I, Miley Cyrus seems incredibly less so. Yeah. I actually, you know, you say you haven't thought about the drive-by truckers in 10 years. I haven't really thought much about the Flaming Lips. Like, I still think Softball <laughs> is, like, one of the great albums, but I ain't really thought about the Flaming Lips since, like, like the terror, maybe? See, I, I can, I'm going to go on their Wikipedia page and I can say the exact last time I listened to a Flaming Lips album, because I know what it was, and it was bad. But, let me pull this up. It was one of their dumb fucking things when they were like, oh, we're going to make a super long thing. Was it their 24-hour song? Was it their cover of Dark Side of the Moon? Was it, uh... It was something... Hold on. Flaming Lips discography. This is... Was it the Hedy Flynn's album? No, I didn't actually listen to that because I have self-respect. That's not even That's true. Not, there's, a few, there's a few good songs on that. Incidentally, the Kesha song on that is pretty good. I believe um, it's called 2012 Bracket, uh, You Must Be Upgraded. That's a pretty good name for a song. Yeah, it's a good song, too. Hold on. Do they not have the... Oh, there we go. Okay. Here it was in 2011. They released a album, EP, something, um, called Gummy Song Fetus. Oh, it was the Gummy album. Yeah, which was uh, genuinely fucking terrible. And at that point, I was kind of off. That was also during the whole time where like um, people were calling them out for using like Native American headdresses for stuff, and they were like, "Whatever, sure. fuck you," like whatever Wayne Coin said. And Wayne Coin genuinely seems like a fucking creep. Like, for real. Uh, Yeah, a little bit. There was that one, I I forgot who it was, but there was someone who was, like, in one of his, like, music videos, uh, or one of the Flaming Lips music videos, that he, like, they were promised that, like, their naked body was not going to be in it, and then it was, which is fucking awful. Was it, I want to say it's Erica Badu. I thought it was Erica Badu's sister. That sounds right to me. Someone in the Badu camp. But, uh, yeah, so I guess this is uh, Derek and Isabel talking about indie rock, I guess. Um, but it's not always that. Sometimes it's other things. What is it other things? Like like movies. Yeah, sure. Movies. People like those, right? Yeah, they I mean, whatever. Yeah. They watch them, too? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, you use your eyes there. and your ears. Yeah, it, uh, it simulates many senses. Not just We've one. been recording for, like, f- like, no joke people four hours, so, like, I'm sorry. If- oh, no, I guess <laughs> it's three and a half hours now. Yeah, we're, we're, we're a little, we're a little uh, loopy, as, as the kids say. Um, but yeah, Middle Brown Madness, what the fuck do we do here? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, we have a beautiful 256 slot bracket. We've put the IMDB top 250 in it, uh, included six of our ringers to make it nice and round. And we pair them off one by, like, we pair them off one against the other until we get to the true champion, the best movie of all time, Asterisk, the movie that uh, the best movie on the 250, basically, is what we're trying to get at. And we've officially made it 25% of the way through round one. Did you know that there was exactly one degree of separation between the wiki page for Erica Badu and the wiki page for paintings by Adolf Hitler? <laughs> what do you expect me to say? Yes? Uh, no, I didn't know that. <laughs> um, I just wanted to bring it up because I wanted to explain why I'm looking at the, the Wikipedia page for paintings by Adolf Hitler. Because I wanted to say, man, his paintings kind of sucked. No offense. I mean, I like, guess no. Full offense. You know, full offense to Adolf Hitler. Your paintings are not very good. Full offense, to Adolf Hitler. Why? Why is there a link there? Did Erica Badu talk about Hitler's output as a painter? She did actually. <laughs> oh my god! Um, see, I'll read this whole why? thing. In a January 2018 interview with Vulture, Badu was asked about accusations of anti-Semitism based on a 2008 
uh, Haaretz article quoting her thoughts about Louis Farrakhan. She denied being anti-Semitic, but said, I see good in everybody. I saw something good in Hitler. After being asked to clarify her comments, Badu praised Hitler's paintings. <laughs> Which is one way Ooh. to answer that question. God, that's a, that's a lot to unpack. All right, so maybe we should talk about the couple of matchups that we have coming yeah, up. Yeah, sure, those, are, those about... are way less of a bummer, let's be honest. Maybe maybe if we... Uh... Maybe we can tackle the Gordian knot that is Louis Farrakhan on a different day. <laughs> no, that sounds like sounds like we're well equipped to do that as two we, white people. Who I'm going grew to go so far suburbs. as to say, I'm, I, well, you grew up in the suburbs. I grew up in the woods. Even better. So a couple of matchups. Yeah, here's what we here, here's what we got lined up: Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind versus Kill Bill Volume One, and Terminator Two: Judgment Day versus Catch Me If You Can. So first one. Uh, the 87 seed, uh, one of the 100 best movies ever made. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, directed by Michel Gondry, written by Charlie Kaufman, starring Jim Carrey, Kate Winslet, Kirsten Dunst, Mark Ruffalo, and Elijah Wood. $72.3 million take on a $20 million budget and one for two at the Oscars, winning for Best Original Screenplay. Versus the 120 seed in the tournament. Uh, Kill Bill Volume 1, released in 2003, directed by Quentin Tarantino, written by Quentin Tarantino, starring Uma Thurman, Lucy Liu, Vivica A. Fox, Daryl Hannah, Sonny Shiba, and David Carradine. $180 million take on a $30 million uh, budget, snubbed from the Academy Awards, uh, but three for five at the BAFTAs. Everyone's favorite. The, the preferred Oscars. The preferred Oscars. The, <laughs> the, 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 the sophisticated man's Oscars. <laughs> I don't think that's true at all, but... That's a lie. Although that was a lie that I made, I did want to say before we get very far into this, um, Michelle Gondry. That's how we say it over here. <laughs> yes, yes, Michelle Gondry for the Anglo's in the house. Yes. Michelle Gondry for those who speak uh, French, like me. those who know how to actually pronounce it properly. <laughs> Notice that I only ever do it for people who have French names, though. Eternal Sunshine, then. Yes, Eternal Sunshine of the spotless <laughs> kinds, spotless of minds, the spotless kind. <laughs> uh, good movie, Derek. Uh, it's a fucking great movie. It, yeah, I was. Uh, I, yeah, so ahead. happy that it held up from me watching as a teen. Because, like, oh, not even a teen. Like, the last time I watched it, I was probably like 20 or 21. And there's a period of time where I would have said, this is my favorite movie of all time. I wouldn't quite say that anymore, but I would say it still holds up. And the the parts that are that hit, hit so incredibly well. I really liked it. And I also was really glad that it held up. Um, like, I never thought that it was like an earth-shattering masterpiece. But I did think it was a very beautiful, very thoughtful film. And I still think that... Um, I still think that applies. If anything, um, I was always more interested in Michel Gondry's. There, I said it like you. I was always more interested in <laughs> Michel Gondry's. Uh, his his sense of uh, his sense of play and his sense of creativity regarding mise en scène than uh, than he than like the writing or the like the the directing of actors or anything. Um, which is why I think I'm more generous than most with subsequent movies he would make like, like the science of sleep rewind or... and science of sleep and stuff like that be kind uh, rewind people... is much better than people think it is it's a really fun it's a movie. great movie it's fun as hell um but also i think, I think most is a good actor but yeah 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 he's fine he's pretty good um i think thing... he's also here's here's the most controversial thing i'm gonna say are you ready about this more controversial than the simpsons suck yep i'm pretty sure <laughs> Go I ahead. think he's really good as Ford Prefect in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy movie. All right, I, see, I didn't have, I don't have any investment in, the, in in that sort of franchise, so I've never, I never read the books, I've never seen the movie. Whoa! So, but I hear Whoa. it's bad. I hear the movie's bad. It's not. It's actually totally fine. People are just dicks. It's a totally sure. fine movie. It's not. It's not the book, but it's a totally fine movie. And I think that Martin Freeman and Sam Rockwell have a lot of fun. Sure. As does Alan Rickman as um, Marvin. So. Good cast. Man, I, man, I'm going to watch that after we're done. I really kind of want to. John Malkovich um, is in that. Jason Schwartzman, Edgar Wright. Good cast. Bill Nighy. Um, Bill Nighy. Warwick Davis is the actual person in the suit for Marvin. Zoe Deschanel. Uh, not- I didn't say her because I think she's bad in it, but I think she's a bad actress, but she's still in there. <laughs> um, but none of these people are internal sunshine of the spotless mind. No, they're not. Um, um, <laughs> but I, I think I, the, the point I'm trying to get to is that I think people's tolerance for French whimsy that that's like the peak of it. That's like, I think it's made more palatable by the fact that you got Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet in it. But it's writing kind of that Emily wave of French whimsy that comes just crashing down in the following years. I think that's okay, like the I, apex yes. of that like particular style of filmmaking. 
I get what you're saying now. I thought you meant like it's the peak of what people can handle. It's like Amelie is more whimsical than this and more insufferable. And I generally despise that movie, but we'll get to that later. Sure. Um, whereas this movie is a lot more presentable for American audience, I'd say. Yes, 100%. And I will agree that like the this time it was less the like sheer emotional affect that overwhelmed me than it was the uh, the it's an incredibly well made film. Yes. Uh, the way that things move between things like um, I remember actually watching behind the scenes about it. And there's that one scene where there's two different Jim Carrey's, but there's no cut in between. And it's because he's literally like, changing clothes in between, like as the camera pans over. And it's just wild to watch all these little it's such like a that's such a like this is going to sound insulting, but I don't mean it that way. It's such like a little kid kind of trick, like very in a, in a good way that a lot of his uh, Michelle Gondry's movies feel like little kid tricks. Like this is the first thing you think of and it's really cutesy, but it's also really simple and it still is effective. If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, it, I guess that's kind of what I was going for when I said that his movies were playful. They look playful, even though that they ta- – well, especially this in Science of Sleep where it's like these are deeply melancholy films yes. about just – like the, the the failure of love. <laughs> this is essentially a film about the fact that everything will fail and like you are not going to have a perfect relationship. Yeah, you're, and also you're just doomed to remember all of it. Yeah. Um, but and you don't learn from your mistakes either. You just. Well, I I think that there's. I'm gonna pull a really a really deep cut here. So sure. Um, Leo Party. The uh, are you the are you familiar with? He's an Italian poet. I'm not. Um, so he also wrote some philosophy, sure. and he's uh, a pessimistic philosopher, uh, very very pessimistic. And one of his most famous philosophical dialogues is between a um, calendar salesman and I think this, it's like a student or a philosopher is who knows some other guy. It's not really important. And okay. this other guy comes up to the calendar salesman and is like, "Hey, like, what are you selling?" The guy's like, "Oh, a calendar. Like, do you want a calendar? It's for the next year. The next year is going to be great." And he's talking about like how the next year is always better than the last one. And then he was like, "Well." Would you, was the last year a good year? He's like, yeah, the last year was a great year. I sold a lot of calendars. It was great. And then he's like, well, well, would you live that year over again? He's like, yeah, like I'd change a bunch of things. He's like, and then the other guy's like, no, like calendar salesman, if you had to live the exact same year over and you couldn't change anything, would you live that year again? And the point of it is the point he eventually gets to, and this is where the pessimistic philosophy comes in, is that no person, if given the choice, would ever willingly live their same life over again. Therefore, quote unquote, proving that life is not inherently a good thing. There's a lot to unpack with that that I'm not going to get into today, but I thought of it while watching this movie specifically for one reason, in that the end of this movie is a direct refutation of that and a direct refutation of the idea that because something is painful or because something is difficult, that it is inherently a bad thing, if that makes sense. Uh, like, okay, so, so, so spoiler alert for a movie that's 15 years yes. old. Uh, so, uh, uh, I, so I, I, I feel like uh, I choose to read the ending of this film as happy. Do you? Um, I think, I think it's happy. Happy is a little too simple, simple of a term, but yeah, still, yeah. Like, it's a positive ending. I think that, I think my reading on it is like, God love him for, for giving it another shot. Gotcha. Whereas the reading I, I took from it, and I continue to take from it, like this is the one I've kind of always had, is that even if this is a, going to be painful, the act of having this relationship is inherently valuable. And if the act of the good moments together are outweigh the fact that it is going to be painful down the line. And that's why you, essentially the movie is about choosing, like deciding, oh, I actually don't want to forget these things that I've signed up to forget. I don't want to sure. lose these things, even though they hurt me and even though they're unbearable, or they feel unbearable this moment, that at the end of the day, I'm better off having them, and my life is better for having experienced these things. Now, if we wanted to get into a full, we're not going to, but if we wanted to get into a full discussion of philosophical pessimism, I would disagree with that statement broadly, but I think in this movie, it's a very powerful point made, and I think it's a useful point to make. I think that over the course of this show, I'm going to have to actually do some reading <laughs> to be able to actually contribute to parts of this show. Because I don't read much philosophy. <laughs> In case the 16 prior episodes, you didn't fucking figure that out. But uh, um, The only reason I bring it up is because that, that, is, that is kind of a central question when you think about it. It's like, would you live your same life over again? I don't know if I have an answer to that. And I think that there's like, some validity in 
um, saying that if you say no, then how can you justify saying that life is good? But at the same time, I don't think that because something is painful that is inherently not good or inherently invaluable, I think we we can often get into a problem of valorizing that which is painful and valorizing suffering. But I don't think that mm-hmm. that pain is necessarily a bad thing. And that's in, in other words, I'm a pessimistic philosopher, but I'm not pessimistic for the reason that life contains pain, if that makes sense. Sure. Well, I, I, I say sure, but <laughs> I mean, OK, um, the, 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 but what, what, the, what I'm interested the, in is your reading of the end of the film. You seem a little bit more. It's more ambiguous, it seems like, like to you, or less, less, less so clearly happy. Yeah, my my question, like the the thing that kind of lingered in my head as the credits rolled was like, what if, like, it's kind of like a weird hypothetical. It's like, what if you immediately knew the worst things about someone, and they that person knew the worst things about you? How does that color? How does that how how does that color an interaction? And like I'm trying, like as I'm trying to follow, like I'm trying to follow the movie logic, right? Yeah, I think it's ambiguous because they are armed with this knowledge that they otherwise would not have, right? So yeah. on the one hand, on the one hand, it's like you know, you know where the potholes in the road are, but can you avoid them? It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a, um, uh, it's kind of like a, uh, ba 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 ba, uh, 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 a determinism versus non-determinism thing. And it's just making mm-hmm. my brain fart. I am, I, I, I am hopeful for them that they are going to do this, like knowing what they know. But like, I don't know how it's going to shake out. Like, I don't know if it's that, if it's just going to be sort of like, I don't know if the pain is going to be compounded or not. Because I'm trying to project ahead. Gotcha. We're see, like when I end the film, I'm essentially 100 percent sure that they're going to break up again, and it's going to be oh, very probably. painful for them. And it's, it's there's no hope, but. The fact that there's no hope does not mean that there's no joy and there's no, there's nothing. It doesn't mean that it is not worthwhile, if that makes sense. Yeah, there's still, yeah, there's still like, you know, potential for stuff to happen between point A and point B, but there's always going to be that, like, that, that, that niggling little thing in the back of your mind, right? It's like, it's, 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 it's like, it's like a weird parlor game, right? Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like a, it's like a weird little logic puzzle. I mean, I think that like, I can't speak like, obviously like a hundred percent. But I do sure. like there. There are, well, there is like one. There's one person in the world that I can think of that knows that has been that has been told or has experienced the worst things that I've done as a human being, sure. and experienced the worst emotions I've had, and they have still chosen to care about me and to love me. And I think that's what if we would have known that in the beginning, I think that's like different because like you don't have that same connection already. Sure. And I think that's the reason I find the ending of this film so moving and like genuinely beautiful is that it's, it's, it's a film that has faith in the value of a relationship, even if that relationship doesn't always work out. And so it's a film that's essentially spits in the face of failure and it's, it's absurdist in a way in that it knows failure is the only option, but it is still the only action you can do is to fight against the failure, even knowing that you're not going to succeed. Yeah. I mean, they find each other again. Yeah. Uh, I feel like we talked like very big picture about this film. Is there anything like smaller you want to get to? Like the fact that um, Elijah Wood is the biggest fucking creep in the world. Oh God. Yeah. I forgot about that. I forgot how like <laughs> skin crawly he was in this movie. Yeah. In a good way. Like, like, like I think he does a good job with what he's, with what his role is, but like, fuck. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just kind of really enamored with the mise-en-scene, the way everything is like sort of charted out. Just like how, like, like kind of like what you were saying. It's like almost like children playing. It's like playing make-believe. But mm-hmm. uh, um, John Bryan's score is really good. Uh, I think uh, this might be Jim Carrey's best performance. Hmm. I need to think about that, I, but I think you're. It's close. I, it's in the conversation. Um, no, that's I, uh, Gene Hackman. <laughs> um, oh boy, I need. I need to stop like, doing that because um, it's never fun for me to do. It's just like a thing that my brain happens. <laughs> It happens in my brain, and my mouth says it. So, but yes, it's in the conversation for the uh, best of Jim Carrey's performances. Yes. Well, is it better? Not, you think it's better or worse than the Truman Show? You're not going to go to bat for the incredible Burt Wonderstone. I haven't seen them. No, it's terrible. Why would anyone see it? Why would a human being see, see the incredible? Yes, I did. It was bad. <laughs> it was a, it was a bad decision I made, and you know that's that's something I have to live with. I think. Okay, 
maybe not his best, but I do believe it's his more most kind of how about emotionally nuanced? Hmm. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. I think I agree with that because I think he's playing. I think he's playing to his strengths more in something like uh, like the Truman Show. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's my other question. Yes. Did Kate Winslet deserve a Best Actress nomination for this film? No. She's an incredible actress, but no. Yeah, yeah, I didn't think so either. I mean, I, I don't think that this film is... A- this film is kind of one of the reasons that, like, that Manic Pixie Dream Girl, like, thing happens. Credits to Nathan Raven yep. for that one. Shout um, out to Nathan Raven, who still has me blocked on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, Nathan Raven, unblock Derek. He's he's cool. He's chill. Please. I donate to your Patreon, so you have to do what I say. That's how that works, right? <laughs> right. Um... I think that she doesn't fully fall into that because she is more fully featured because the whole point of the movie is that viewing her in that way is what – I mean, that's why Elijah Wood's a creep because he views her that way. Sure. And she has a lot more going on with her. But at the same time, you can see where that can easily that character can easily turn into something really gross and really not helpful. <laughs> um, and I think that Kate Winslet does her best with the role, but I also think it's not – it's clearly Joel's movie and not – Kate's or not Clementine's rather so Clementine's yeah uh, I really liked the part where he's revisiting the memory of meeting Clementine post procedure for the first time and he keeps trying to turn Elijah Wood but it always goes back to the back of his head because he doesn't have a view on the face yes it's all the, the movie flies when it does like small really really creative stuff like that mm-hmm. so or like later uh, on they, when like his when like Elijah Wood's eyes are like flipped upside down yes Good image. Or um, just when he's navigating through his memories and there's like just like a spotlight on him and you can't see his features and just like simple stop motion shit. It's like this movie looks incredible. Yes, 100%. Um, but another movie that looks incredible, Kill Bill Volume 1. If you say so. I mean, I think it looks good. Okay. Um, so uh, Quentin Tarantino's homage to mostly martial arts films. To every movie he's ever seen, basically. Basically. Um, so, I really like this movie. I've seen it three or four times. I think that... I don't know if it's like... It's certainly not an actorly showcase like uh, like uh, Sunshine is for like Jim Carrey. But I think the performances are good. A lot. Of, it's a movie that's like... This is the closest I feel like Quentin has come to like making a Oh, this is badass kind of movie. Yes, right? 100%. This is, this is like... This is... Even though this is the man who made Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, this is his most dorm room movie. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I think I think this is also his most pastiche. Oh, that I 100% agree with. But I think it's a really good hang. I mean, I like I, I like the fights. Uh, I like I like how purple it is in terms of like it's like I'm not, like in terms of like badass bon mots. I, I like that he like sort of dusts uh, d- gets uh, takes the mothballs off of dudes like Sonny Sheba and Gordon Liu. Um, I I think it's just kind of a it's kind of it's kind of a romp. Okay. So what's your what's your take? Uh, my take is it was kind of boring. <laughs> I mean, oh no! I, I think it's totally fine. Like I I think it's I think it might be the worst Tarantino movie though. Either that or Django Unchained. And I think that like here's a couple problems I have with it. Number one is that this is um. I'm going to nitpick for a second, then I'm going to move to a broader thing. So number one is like a nitpick. The whole, like, the very beginning of uh, The Bride's, uh, or Beatrix, I guess we don't know that at this point, but her name's Beatrix. Um, Beatrix Kiddo, right? Beatrix Kiddo, that's right. Um, The whole, like, beginning where she's, like, waking up from the coma and there's, like, the, like, sexual assault subplot that's just, like, thrown in there for no reason is, like, really gross, genuinely, like, and doesn't need to be there and it could have been accomplished so many other ways. Um, and is like also like a really, this is a pulpy movie with a lot of like dark shit that happens in it, but I don't think that that kind mm-hmm. of darkness is what it needs. I think it needs more like, um, like the backstory of Lucy Liu's character is dark, but also like in a way that that's makes ca- sense. Yeah. That's like a character building moment. It's not something that happens to something. Yes. So there's that. I think that actually that whole, the whole like anime sequence is bad, like straight up bad. Really? Yeah. It, I think it's, it's poorly drawn. Uh, at least, I mean, when I say that, I feel like I'm being a little bit of a dick, but I mean, I, I didn't enjoy looking at it. I thought it was ugly to look at. And I, I will say that it is th- 2003 is shit. Yes. And I, I don't think it actually adds what he's trying to add to the thing. 
Um, I don't know what I would have done instead because I like if you're gonna have you have to introduce the background to that character, which I don't think you actually have to. But if you're going to, I don't know a better way to do it. But I mean that exists. Um, also, the uh, Hattori Hanzo bit I think is super boring. And in a broader <laughs> sense, I think the problem I have with it is that since it is such a pastiche, it's it feels like it's just borrowing a bunch of stuff that I liked better at other places. If that makes sense. I mean, yes. And <laughs> like, I, like you, you could you could say that it doesn't have enough of that sort of Quentin stink on it. But I, partially that, but also partially just the fact that like outside of the final fight sequence, which I think is genuinely still amazing. Great fight. Where she's in that iconic like yellow suit. It's uh, generally like a really rad part of the movie. Yeah, the whole thing starting inside, uh, starting inside against the crazy, uh, crazy eighty-eight, going outside into the, like the lady snowblood ass fucking yeah. courtyard or whatever. Yes, all of that is excellent. Everything before that is eh. To oh, that like, was pretty bad. I don't know. I like the I, I I like the slow burn of the Sunny Shiba shit. Um, I kind of I, I mean I, I I'm kind of like hot and cold on the anime sequence. I did, certainly didn't think that it was bad. And I also think that like um, there's. This is for someone who's not us to like tackle, but I do feel a little weird about how Quentin treats the tropes of Japanese cinema he's using, especially with like the Asian actors he uses. It feels it feels weird to me in a way. I'm not I'm I'm not the person to address that right now, but I will say it is something that did make it not as much of a romp for me. Hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I, 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 I think there, there's a, there's a, there's a thin line between homage and stereotype, and I think he sure. crosses over it more often than he should. Let's say that. Hmm. I mean, all right. I'm not going to disagree with like your. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a very personal assessment. And again, like we're t- we're two white people. Like, what do we? I, I don't take our words as the final word on this thing. Certainly, but that's just like, like personally how I responded to it. It's like on 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 the Quentin Tarantino scale of racial sensitivity, I think this score is fairly high. I don't know if that. <laughs> Do you mean because no one says the N word? <laughs> I mean, I did notice that no one said the N word. I did notice that it didn't come out of Vivica a. Fox's mouth or anyone else's. Yeah, I just I, I. And I don't think that like destroys the movie, but it does make it so that I don't. If I'm gonna reach for any um, Tarantino movie. This is incredibly low on the lists next to, like I said, like Django, which I think is maybe his only like outright miss. I even think that's a miss. I think it's a miss. Um, I th- don't, don't we get to it later in the podcast? Uh, probably. Uh, let me see. I feel like every fucking Tarantino film is on here except for the best one. Oh, you know what? It's uh, yeah, it's a 61 seat and it's going up against Ben-Hur. <laughs> <laughs> what the? F- that's a nothing good there. That's a hell of a matchup. I think I know yeah, who wins. This um, this, li- this list does not include the two best Quentin Tarantino movies, which is ridiculous. Sure, clearly Jackie Brown what? and Death Proof. And not Jackie Brown and Pulp Fiction? Pulp Fiction's a very good movie, but I mean, I think that I Death said, Proof... I, Death Proof is him doing a just pure genre movie in the best yeah. way. Whereas I think Jackie, yeah. Jackie Brown is him doing the most Quentin Tarantino movie in the best way. Yeah, Blaxploitation as uh, yeah. crime, like sort of a big crime movie. With yeah. probably the best acting he's had in any of his films. Uh yeah, across the board probably a good a good solid bench on that. Yeah, um, but yeah, so Jackie like, Brown's. Yeah, isn't it wild? Man, that's weird. I think I feel that's like Jackie wild. Brown is still, even though like for I feel like for a decade we've all been saying like Jackie Brown's the sleeper like best Quentin Tarantino movie, and even after that, it still is sleeping. Sadly, I mean that's that's wild to me. Anyway, um, no, I just yeah okay. So this is just fundamentally a thing of you thought it was more boring than me. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, this I think this is just Quentin having fun with it, which I can vibe with one hundred percent. So it might not have the sort of it's, it's it, it doesn't have the robustness of some of the more canon uh, Quentin Tarantino movies. I feel like this is like if you're a young cinephile, this is where you get on board. This is where you start. Not Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction, maybe, um, but I feel like Pulp Fiction's reputation precedes it a little bit, which is why maybe people would probably uh, start with uh, Kill Bill. Okay, that's fair. But the question uh, I, is, I, is it better than Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind? I have these both, I think, as fours. So this is a more this is going to be a bit more agonizing for me than it is for you, because I'm pretty sure you're leaning Eternal Sunshine. Pretty easy, yeah. Ah, uh, man. And to be okay, I'm gonna This isn't a totally fair thing to say, but I'm gonna say it anyways because who fucking cares? Um 
Quentin Tarantino is going to have a lot more shots at getting on to round two. That's very is, true. Michelle Gondry is not moving on if it's if this does not move on. So Reservoir Dogs is in here. Dave Chappelle's Block Party Pulp is sadly Fiction not is on here. here. <laughs> which is actually his uh, neither is the green hornet i keep hearing block party is really good it's really good yeah very good if you can get the like stink of modern like dave Chappelle out of your mouth right well you know, dave Chappelle sadly is aged into an old guy yeah. so um yeah so yeah i think the only two is it possible that the only two that aren't on here uh of quentin's are kill bill 2 and uh jackie brown and death proof and death proof so that still means three. he's got that means he's still got five on the list? It is. I was going to say it's Re- wild to me that Kill Bill Volume 2 is not on here, but I mean, it actually makes sense from like an IMDb standpoint. Just from a personal standpoint, I think Volume 2 is a better film. Sure. So yeah, so he's got Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, uh, Kill Bill 1, Inglorious Bastards, and uh, Django Unchained. Is that it? Is Hateful Eight on there? Probably not. It's not, no. Nope. I mean, hey, that's just a lot of movies, and a lot of those are really good movies. So I would not, I'm, I have a feeling he's going to move on somewhere else. Yeah, I think you're right, and yeah, I think I'd I think I'd be willing to concede here, even though I think I may want to move Kill Bill on, but there will be other opportunities for Quentin Tarantino. So, congratulations and uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, you move on. Hooray! That didn't sound convincing at all. <laughs> I mean, it's I I feel like for it's weird. Do you ever have this thing? This is totally off topic, but do you ever have this thing where like if it's a movie you've loved since you were like a teen? You still love it as much, but your excitement for it is gone. Yeah, it's basically Pulp Fiction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same. <laughs> Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, Eternal Sunshine, um, Die. Yeah, Die Hard. I'm still pretty excited for. But there's uh, a lot of movies that, like, I think are genuinely classic. Some of the best movies ever made. But I don't. They're not as fun to talk about. I guess they're, they don't excite me the way they once did. Whereas it's exciting to me to say, "Hey, I saw Serenity this year, and it was one of the best movies." I'm talking about the 2019 one, not the shitty like one that what's his name made. Uh, 2019 one that's a masterpiece. Uh, and that's exciting. Um, but yes, Joss Whedon's Serenity. Which I'm being fun. unfairly dismissive <laughs> of because that movie's totally fine. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that movie. I think Firefly is um, totally fine. I think Joss Whedon makes a lot of things that are totally fine. Yeah, here's the thing. The, the sad truth about Joss Whedon is that he's pretty good with a word. But unfortunately, he sucks. Yeah. Um. So, uh. but yeah, uh, moving on, I guess, to moving on. two yeah, other gonna find out. Yeah, we're going to find out who uh, Eternal Sunshine uh, faces in the next round. And if it's who I think it is, it's going to have its fucking hands full. Yeah, yeah, no. I feel, I feel so, like I know what round three is, is going to be, but... Uh, sure. So, our second matchup. The favorite, the 42nd best film ever made, according to the IMDb list. Terminator 2, Judgment Day, released in 1991, directed by James Cameron. Uh, written by James Cameron and William Wister, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, Linda Hamilton, Robert Patrick, and Edward Furlong. $523 million take on a $100 million budget in 1990-fucking-one. And four for six at the Academy Awards, cleaning up in the uh, technical categories, but also got a nomination for cinematography, which, yeah, this movie looks pretty good. Versus... Uh, Catch Me If You Can, the 215 scene in this tournament, released in 2002, directed by Steven Spielberg, written by Jeff Nathan, uh, Jeff Nathanson, based on the book by Frank Anagot, I mean, I literally watched this fucking movie, how do I fuck up his name? Uh, Frank Abagnale, <laughs> Frank Abagnale yep. Jr. and Stan Redding, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom Hanks, Christopher, uh, and Christopher Walken, and Martin Sheen, and also there's a ton of other actors that are like... Big deals that are like much lower uh, in the call on the call sheet. Um, Three hundred fifty-two million dollar take on a fifty-two million dollar budget, so a pretty good hit as well. And a zero for two at the Academy Awards. So um, Terminator Two: Judgment Day, fucking rules. It rips. It's like I, like, I, holy I don't really shit. have anything. I don't have anything clever to say about this movie. It just fucking cooks. Which I, it's so good i mean there's so many things in it that's uh i've seen a million times but it still totally hits it's one of those blockbusters where all the set pieces somehow you can see the set piece 20 times and it's still exciting as fuck the next time you see it this like, is there's, like the, there's the chase through this... like the, the 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 riverbed like the 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 what's that thing called it's the la riverbed it's like yeah. the la river 
Yeah. And yeah, this this is like the fifth time I've seen this movie. That never stops ruling. Yeah. I get like rock hard when I watch well, that the, scene. The escape from the mental health ward is incredible. And, um, the, and like, obviously the climax. It's just, it's just the hits just keep on coming. And uh, so, yeah, it's Terminator 2. Uh, so Sarah Connor, played by uh, Linda Hamilton, is in a, a psychiatric ward because she's convinced the apocalypse is going to come, which it does do in the uh, in the yes. timeline of the Terminator <laughs> franchise. And um, so, and uh, Terminator, played by uh, a Terminator, one among many, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, is sent back in time to save, uh, to basically protect the savior of humanity, uh, John Connor, who was played here as a child by one Edward Furlong. Um, uh, Robert Patrick plays another Terminator, a more advanced Terminator, who comes back to destroy the Terminator and the savior of mankind, John Connor. And it's, it's really functionally a cat and mouse game. It's Robert it, Patrick it's, is so fucking scary in this movie. He's like genuinely terrifying. There's that um that scene early on where he you hear you see I'm trying to figure out like a way to set this up. People already know what the fuck I'm talking about, but I'm just gonna say it. Um where he Edward Furlong calls his foster parents. Yeah. because uh, he wants to like let them like let them know what's going on. And I think like the thing is exact words like they're dicks, but <laughs> like I don't want them to die or something. Sure. Um and he calls them and it looks like his foster mother picks up. And uh, she's talking to him, and then Arnold, uh, or, or, like the Terminator that's with uh, Furlong, realizes that he's talking to the T one thousand. To the T one thousand, and then it pans over after they hang up from the T one thousand's like current form, which is the foster mother, over to his metal arm, which is sticking through the foster dad's skull. It's, yeah, it's basically now his arm is a his arm is a blade. It's fucking scary. Yeah, genuinely, like terrifying stuff. And it, it totally, like, all the effects, I think we were saying in the chat, they still work. Even, like, the liquid metal, it looks kind of silly now, but it still, like, is cool. Yeah, it's, so f- it's cool as hell and fully, it's it's seamless. In it's the it's integrated with it really well, so, like, it feels like it's really there, even if it's also a little goofy. It never feels like it's off on its own. There's only one effect that I thought did not age really well, and that's towards the end of the film. Where um, there's an explosion and Arnold, in quotation marks, does like a barrel roll towards the camera. And it's clear that it's like a model. Yes, yes. But that that's one effect in this whole movie. Like the effects of like one of the other kills in the movie, Robert Patrick as the T-1000 is behind a dude grabbing coffee. Yeah, God. <laughs> he just rises from the floor. And it's like, that's fucking great. It's so good. And... This movie doesn't just work because it has these baller special effects that have aged super well, uh, and not just because James Cameron is really good at directing action, but there's, like, an emotional core to this film. Like, it breaks my fucking heart every time Linda Hamilton talks to Edward Furlong, like he's already a super soldier who's going to save mankind and not just a child. Yep. It's it's devastating. And I think that's this is where I, a good way to segue into... Um, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to... S- actually give a lot of praise to the way this movie sets up John Connor and to Edward Furlong as well. Whereas okay. in a lot of um, criticisms in this film, whether when there are criticisms, it's generally like considered an incredible film. Like it's, it's on the IMDb, IMDb top 250. When yeah, people, it's a canon movie. Yeah. When people are going to critique it, they always critique Furlong and they always critique the character of John Connor. And they're like, Oh, it's like a kid. Like it's annoying. It makes it less serious and like less. It's not, it's not like the original movie, which I mean, it's true. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of things that that John Connor character work incredibly well with. Number one being that he's had this mother who basically has been giving him survival training from the time he was a kid. And he knows what she's said. So like when the Terminator shows up, he's not surprised as much as he is like, fuck, you're here now. Aren't you supposed to be trying to kill me? Which is right. which is great. I think that actually rules because most movies there's like. You would have this whole setup like, oh, like, I don't know what's going on. This isn't real. X, Y, and Z, where this movie just ditches that. And it's like, we already know what's going on. We don't need to convince another character that this is really happening. Let's just go ahead with it, which is great. And I think that um, having the character of John Connor there makes it so that the stakes feel really different in the way that they didn't in the original, which I, I love the original. I think it's a great movie, but the stakes are inherently different because it's not just someone fighting against terminator it's someone fighting for their kid who is literally right there sure. and trying to make a better life for him and it makes it more real i guess i'd say if that makes sense yeah yeah 
It makes the stakes yes. more palpable. And I think that without uh, having John Connor there, the core of the movie, which is essentially a very, a very humanist and positive message, which is, I brought up to you because I think is, I think I brought up to you outside of the outside of this that I, I think one of the reasons out of the many reasons people really hate the, the John Connor character in here is because everyone likes to think of themselves or white dudes like to think of themselves as like, I'm going to be the one who, if there's ever a zombie apocalypse, I'm going to make the hard choices. I'm going to um, kill my friend. Shoot my friend that was bitten. He was bitten. Whereas John Connor is explicitly tells the T-800 like, hey, don't kill anybody. You can't kill anybody. And then later in the film, they follow through with that. Whereas like when um, Arnold is getting all of the cops off their back, He's very. They very explicitly show that he's not killing anybody, which is kind yes. of awesome and amazing. Um, especially since like you don't get that in action movies. Like, how often does anyone actually care who's dying in action movie? As much as I like Die Hard, I think Die Hard is an incredible film. Sure, no one's gonna say, "Hey, um, don't kill anybody in Die Hard." You know what I mean? <laughs> Whereas this this movie has a much more human and a much more open heart to it, and it's a it's a movie that believes that people are worthwhile and that human life is inherently valuable and it's not valuable as utility. It's not valuable as what it can do for others. It is an inherent value that is worth protecting even when it's inconvenient, even when it's incredibly difficult and even when it puts you in danger. And I think that that's just not something that most people want to see, or at least I don't, when I say most people, I'm being a little bit reductive. Most, most IMDV viewers <laughs> would not want to say maybe the people voting. Yeah. Maybe the people voting on this particular, uh, on these movies on this forum, maybe, yeah. but, um, yeah, no fate. No fate, baby. Yeah. I was surprised by how well that whole emotional through line actually worked with me and how hopeful and kind of beautiful the ending of this film is. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, 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 the Terminator learns the value of human life. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> and I don't think that that, uh, I think I'm saying there's another criticism to be made that that makes him less intimidating in the first one, or it, like it inherently changes the the dynamic of the Terminator films. I think it does, but I think it does in a worthwhile way. Sure. Um, Arnold, Arnold, I think has like, I think his best acting is in total recall, but I think he's best cast as the Terminator. Yes. Agreed. That was just, he was, he was having a moment. He had a pretty, pretty Um, long moment there for a minute. He had a good run. And then like, but especially like governor, governor, (laughs) like, but like between that's fucked up, right? Yeah. Hey, remember like, when that was wild and it was like, oh, that's never going to happen. <laughs> and then uh, I feel like you can draw a pretty depressingly straight line from that happening to Donald Trump, which. Uh, oh, no doubt. Is too much of a bummer to get into today. I'm pretty sure both those guys are in the WWE Hall of Fame. <laughs> Derek, would you say that the WWE is problematic? Hashtag problematic. Um, is this going to be on the record? Yes, you have to put it on the record. You. I'm going to show Vince McMahon this, that you, if you okay. say he's problematic. Okay. Yes. Oh, shit. Oh, WWE is 100% problematic <laughs> and is kind of not having a good time right now because of some upstarts and some leaving talent. But, uh, you know, listen to my wrestling podcast that doesn't exist to have uh, if you want some hotter takes on that. So let's talk about Catch Me If You Can, even though it's going to lose. Yeah, sure. Um, it's a perfectly fine diversion. Um, I I write I had this as a three before I bumped it up to a four because I thought it was just like really crackerjack sort of pseudo heist film. Here's my hot take. Speaking of hot takes, Steven Spielberg is very good at directing. You can say that. I, I think you know what I think. I'm going to agree with you there. I think Steven Spielberg has made a couple good movies. I think he's got he's a really big good. future ahead of him. I I'd like to see what he's doing next. <laughs> I think he's really good at. He's really good at like doing that Hitchcock thing of guiding your eye without being handholdy. Um, there, there's a uh, a fun video by I think it's Every, Every Frame of Painting, uh, the YouTube sure. group, uh, about the Spielberg oneer and like his one takes, which most people make showy, and somehow you it, very it's hard to realize, but Spielberg does oneers in like pretty impressive oneers in a lot of his movies, but you don't think of them the same way you think of the shot from Goodfellas or the shot from um. Children of Men, things like that. And it's because sure. he's this is going to sound insulting, but it's not. It's generally like an incredibly high compliment. He is one of the most efficient directors and one of the most one of the most transparent directors that I can think of. Very clean, very classic. Yes. 
which is not as easy as you would think. Or, I mean, no, no, it's an incredibly difficult thing to do as well as he does. Yes. Um, but he's like been making movies forever. And this goes like to, this goes to early. I mean, you can see the seeds of it in like Duel. Yeah. And um, I, and I keep thinking back to like, remember, remember when uh, Bridge of Spies was completely slept on? Uh, I have still slept on it because I have not watched it. That movie fucks. It's really good. Okay. Uh, Tom Hanks. Um, and Mark Rylance is really good in that movie too. But Tom Hanks is pretty good in this movie, even though he's got like this comical Boston accent. Yeah, I think he's not really like doing a role, but he's he's being Tom Hanks with an accent, which is fine. <laughs> That's perfectly acceptable for this movie. I, I love Tom Hanks with an accent. And uh, Knock Knock, Who's There, Go Fuck Yourselves is still the funniest shit ever. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I mean, I love to hear Tom Hanks swear. That's awesome. This was really, was this like the coming out for like Serious Leo? Um, let me. Because it's like, because it's like post Titanic, which was, I guess, like sort of, it's like, check it out. I'm a force to be reckoned with. Leonardo DiCaprio. For some reason, the first time I touched, I touched Leonardo da Vinci because I could not remember what his name was, but that's not it. <laughs> As actor. Different Italian guy. Um, I mean, the beach, I think, is really underrated, but I mean, as sure. far as like, oh no, uh, this year. Okay, yes, you're right, because this came out the same year as Gangs of New York. Oh, Man, that's go. a so good year for this was, motherfucker. Yeah, 2002, Leo is like, like I am here to stay. And, and he, then, still, he still looks like he's fucking his movies after that this were? movie. The Aviator and The Departed. Like, he knew what the fuck he was yes. doing. This was his big coming out. Um, so, Leo DiCaprio, uh, this is when we were starting to think, okay, so this guy means business. He's really good in this. He's really charming. He doesn't seem to be doing a lot. But he's very charismatic. Yeah, that's true. And I think that speaks to a lot of the movie as well. It's a not doing a lot, but it's very charismatic. Yeah, it's a very agreeable movie. I didn't I didn't mind when it was on. It doesn't need to be two hours and change, but um I didn't mind when it was, was on. I was kind of into it because it's almost it's it's kind of a it, 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 it's a process movie at times where it's like, okay, so this is how the grift goes on. So and I agree, but I think the process is the part that I would emphasize and I would I would excise a lot of the personal stuff with Leo. I don't think it works. I don't like you would cut. I don't up, think his relationship with his, the walk and stuff. Yeah, like I don't think his relationship with like his father and his mother actually. Uh, here's the problem: you, is that it's clearly like it's clearly the point of the movie, but at the same time, it's the worst part of the movie. Like you're saying that you can make like a gesture towards it and not have it be like a whole B plot. I'm not sure is or, the thing because or I, a plot. I, I feel like if. T- because Spielberg, I think, is trying to make a movie about divorce and trying to make a movie about like the effects that childhood, like that a childhood has on someone's life. Sure. And I think that's going up to the point where, um, like, like the when he's finally caught, it's outside mm-hmm. of like his mother's house as the family inside there that he's no longer part of is having uh, Christmas, right? Yes. Which is clearly like heavy leaning. It's showing you, hey, this is this is our theme. Do you understand the theme now? But the sure. same part, those are the parts that were the least convincing to me. They're the parts that felt really, I guess, like, they felt really superfluous. And they felt like they were gesturing at something that either needed way more context to get into, or it needed way less so I could ignore it. Because cause I liked all the stuff with, like, Martin Sheen and Amy Adams, because that's when he felt the squeeze. Yes, I agree with that. I think Amy yeah. Adams is actually really good in this. Yeah, Amy Adams is, like, phenomenal in this. And also, Elizabeth Banks has, like, five lines. Yes. And she's she's delightful in it, um, but yeah, I think all the Martin Sheen stuff and the Amy Adams stuff, like he's like he's kind of he's trying to con his way into a family functionally, mm-hmm. and like, do you think that would have enough like thematic resonance to like hold up that theme? I don't know is a problem. I really don't know because yeah, because since he's feeling the pinch there, I think it works more thematically because he's just on the run. This is always moving mm-hmm. always uh and yeah i think there's like there's a because i think this movie didn't feel as long because this is maybe a bit of a meta thing because i watched it after i watched um after i watched uh godfather 2 and terminator 2 okay yeah which which combined is like five hours so this is like two hours and a little bit so it felt really brisk okay but also, I guess that's the advantage of a movie that's not very pretentious and is very light on its feet, and it's kind of just like a cat and mouse game, where it's like, sure, it could be 130 minutes, but I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of like locked into the, I'm, I'm locked into the chase is what I am, and it like, and it looks, it looks and feels and moves very classically, and it goes down real easy, 
It's real. It goes down real smooth, and there's a bunch of fun little, uh, a fun little interstitials. People come off the bench for a couple scenes at a time, and then we go into the Amy Adams stuff, and that takes us nicely to the end. Uh, I mean, I think like. Like my favorite scene in the movie, and I think this will tell you like what I liked about this movie. Um, my favorite scene in the movie is where um, Carl, who's uh, Tom Hanks' character, finally mm-hmm. thinks he's tracked him down, and he goes to the hotel room where all his shit is. And then Frank comes out of the bathroom pretending to be a Secret Service agent and completely fucking uh-huh. fools him. It is it's the best. It rules. Yeah, it's really good. And that like that's those moments where like it's really that cat and mouse between Carl and Frank that I think the movie's at its best. And I think that, I guess, like, I'm almost asking the movie to stop having themes and to just be about that. <laughs> like, I, I want Ocean's Eleven instead of a movie about family. You know what I mean? Hold hold on, hold on. You want a Steven Spielberg movie to not have themes? Imagine that. Huh. Um, I mean, I think this is, like, this movie, like, went up a whole star in my estimation. I bumped it up from three to four because I thought it was, like, real fun. Mm-hmm. I thought it was, like, real entertaining. Went down real... Went down real easy. Loved everyone in the movie. Looks magnificent. Directed, uh, directed very like like expertly. Um, yeah, it's just not Terminator Two. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I mean, tough shit, tough shit, Stevie. But uh, Terminator Two is like it's like not many movies are better than Terminator Two. That is incredibly true. Uh, so, so Terminator Two, uh, yes. So next time we will have Terminator 2 versus Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Oh, man. I don't even want to think about that. The Russo brothers directed You, Me, and Dupree? What the fuck? You gotta start somewhere. But it wasn't their first film. Their first film was Welcome to Collinwood. I have no idea Remember that, that movie? Oh, it's, it was a movie. It's got William H. Macy and Sam Rockwell in it. Luis Guzman, Holy George moly. Clooney, Jennifer Esposito, Gabrielle Union. It's fucking packed. That's a, that sounds like a cast. Bad movie. Why are you looking up the but, Why are you looking up with the Russo brothers? So because um on Steven Spielberg's wiki page it says he is the highest grossing film director in history. Obviously, like I don't think that's even it's not sure. even close. Um, because he his movies worldwide have made ten point five four two billion dollars. Good lord, sounds about right. And uh, the Russo brothers are the seconds. Um, six point seven four seven. Yeah, like literally, basically just those Marvel movies, which is kind of I don't know, kind of sad. That's a like Steven Spielberg had like a lifetime to achieve that, and Russo Brothers made it in like a decade. And it's like they're making it with the same movie kind of over and over again, which is incredibly dismissive to those movies. But I mean, at the same time, like I don't really care. Um, <laughs> whereas like Steven Spielberg like made different kinds of movies. He made like a lot of shit. He had, he's a he's a director. The Russo Brothers are just like people who put together films for Marvel. They're like they're like carpenters. Yeah, they're like. Except, like, not as good like, as, like, Jesus. Do you think Jesus was good at carpentry, or that was just, like, his side hustle? Like, do you think Jesus was, like, actually good at being a carpenter? I feel like he had to be, right? I think, I th- I think like, he probably made good stools. Well, we're not talking about him pooping. We're talking about his carpentry. Ayo. Hello. <laughs> so, on that <laughs> blasphemous note, uh, fuck. next time on the show, we've got a weird one for episode 18. It's going to be... This might be the the show with the least amount of good movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. Although, like, so a hell, time... hell of a dorm room matchup. Oh, God. This is, like, this is, like, this is, like, perfect. Uh, uh, like, this is the third episode running that I'm referencing this. Uh, uh, movies, dipshits think are aspirational. Hot couch guy movies and dorm movies. We've got one that's right in the middle of that Venn diagram, baby. Scarface is going to be facing V for Vendetta. Good lord! Uh, Hopefully, we and don't Silence get of by, the Lambs. What if we say that <laughs> Scarface is better than V for Vendetta, and Anonymous hacks us for being losers? <laughs> uh, I think that uh, Anonymous will have to watch Scarface again. Because um, here's, I think that you're going to have to watch Scarface again because I. We'll get like, to I'm it. No, we'll I'm, get to it. I, we will get to it. And the other matchup we're going to be covering is The Silence of the Lambs versus The Wizard of Oz. And there's going to be some blistering hot takes on this episode. Oh, really? Y'all. I'm I'm ready for him. Oh, well, well tune in next time. I will. I have no choice but to tune in. You can you all like you have yeah, you'd have the you cannot not tune in. You're 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 in this. Um, should we do plugs first or should we do the email first? 
Well, email is part of the plug. So uh, if you want to drop us a line, uh, if you want to ask us about, um, if you wanted to give us a hard time for chiding the Russo brothers, you can do so by sending us an email at uh, middlebow. Bother, they're fucking rich. Don't bother. <laughs> yeah, don't. don't like, they don't need your help. In yeah, any like, case, if you want of to all the it, people, like the the Marvel movies aren't the things that need your defending. No, no, no. I, I'm sure Kevin Feige sleeps very well at night. So, but if you want to send us an, uh, an email, uh, you can do that at middlebrowmadness at gmail.com. I can feel my jaw just give up. Uh, <laughs> we've, been ga- we've been gabbing for hours, plural. Uh, we are soliciting uh, uh, questions. We are soliciting recipes. We are still soliciting information about the Roman conquest of, Great, uh, of Britain and um, also the ins and outs of Bollywood cinema. Uh, you can contact us directly at uh, what's middlebrowmadness really at gmail dot com. That's right. If you want, if you want to get to us directly individually, you can do so on Twitter. I'm at Derek underscore G. Uh, Isabel is at Space Jam Fan. You can follow us on Letterbox if that's your bag. Uh, I'm at Derek underscore G. Uh, Isabel is at The Traps Jaw. Uh, you can also listen to other shows on the Noise Space Podcast Network. You can go to noisespace.xyz and find the show's archives and the archives of all the other shows that uh, that are there. And let's see. So Noise Space and I think that's it. Okay. So. Are we missing anything? I don't think so. Nope. We just got email, which we're going to do a, another third of today. We have um, a lot of Oh, yeah. We got, yeah. We got a whole we thing. We got more me- more mail, Jesus. Okay, we got more from Hirsch. Um, this is we're recording these all in a row. So if you've if you've told me to pronounce your name differently, Hirsch, I have not heard it yet. So I apologize. But <laughs> um, I'm going to read a big part of the a big part of the rest of the email. That's not how you say that, but that's fine. I'm going to leave all the last part of it for later. Because okay. Because we like we said we've been recording for a very long time, and I need to I need to go. Okay. Okay. So. Um, hello from Australia. Big fan. Somehow, against all odds, this has become my favorite pod recently. Like, seriously, oh my God, I've you. recommended this to at least four people, and I'm not a big podcast recommender. Yes, thank you very much. That's the nicest thing anyone's ever said about this shitty podcast we do. So, seriously, that's awesome. Um, your thoughts on Bollywood films are interesting to hear. Growing up, I watched a few Hindi films, but haven't in a fair while. It extremely tickles me how much Isabel enjoyed Three Idiots. The tonal dissonance you mentioned is both totally it you mention is totally common in Bollywood. I haven't really seen many Hindi movies, especially not recently, but if you guys are interested in checking out more, I'll recommend a couple. Um, okay. So I'm about to butcher some names. I apologies. I, po- I apologies. I apologies. <laughs> uh, Vishal, Bard- Vishal Bardwaj did a, tri- did a trilogy of Shakespeare adaptations. They're all supposed to be pretty good, but I've only seen Hyder, a Hamlet adaptation, which I thought was cool. I think it's worth watching some of the staple romantic epics. Uh, again, I'm very far from an expert here, but Devdas or Devda. There's only one way to pronounce that, at least that I'm looking at it, but I'm still sure okay. I'm wrong. Is the weird part. Um, is a modern classic, and I remember being into Om Shanti Om. It's got comedy, tragedy, reincarnation. What more do you need? That sounds pretty rad, actually. And in this one, I was actually kind of fascinated by hearing this exists. I mean, it makes sense it exists, but it's kind of cool. Dil Shata Hai is a kind of slacker rom-com. Not sure if it holds up outside of my personal nostalgia, but it's got a great soundtrack. So that sounds pretty rad. Um, so thank you for all those recommendations. And then uh, one more little bit. So another, uh, anyways, on another note, Isabel mentioned Channel Zero Season 2, No End House recently. And I got pretty excited because no one's talking about it. That is a really solid season of TV. She's absolutely right that it starts off pretty generic, predictable, and definitely has some familiar beats throughout. But the emotional narrative that season is built on, is built on hit pretty hard. Sincerely, it helped me a little in dealing with the sudden death of my mom. And yeah, man, John Carroll Lynch is really great in it. Um, so yeah, uh, another recognition for that. Uh, the way it deals with trauma is really fascinating and grief. Um, and I would, this is my other recognition for Channel Zero Season 2. Um, and yeah, any, uh, the b- last thing that the, I'm going to read from this today is they say, anyway, the pod is good. Thanks for the pod. You're welcome. Thank you. You are very Thank welcome. you for sending Thank you for the very an incredibly kind nice email. Uh, and I'm going to put all those recommendations on my watch list on Letterboxd. The one, the one Bollywood movie that has, is still like in my craw is a science fiction movie called it's, I forget what the Hindi title of it is, but it's called robot and it looks wild. As yeah. Well. I've, I've seen previous that and it looks nuts. And that that's, that's on my watch list somewhere. 
But uh, I think that's it for today. Yeah, I think. Right? I think oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, no. Lord. Uh, rate, us, rate us five stars on iTunes. Get, leave us a message. Derek, we'll you saying it. that? I say rate us whatever you want. We'll accept whatever you give us. Um, please leave a review if you do, though. It would be really nice just to see other words. Uh, other words yes. are good. Um, but if you hate this podcast, tell us why. I'd love to hear why you think my life's work is invaluable or unvaluable. <laughs> Not valuable? Oh, boy. I, mean, I, think all of, I think all of those are okay. I think, I think all those are different probably... words is the problem. Like invaluable. No, that's the opposite of the thing I'm trying to say. <laughs> I think I think we should probably sign off before we go punny pool. Yes. <laughs> I've been um, Isabel Arf. And I've been Derek Gatti. Have movies be jolly. Have movies be jolly. Good night, everyone. Good night. Ha, ha, ha.